Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, everybody's doing okay uh, in the current circumstances, uh, not merely just hanging out at home, uh, but also as far as jobs go. A lot of people have uh, lost their uh, source of income, and that can be pretty uh, difficult. Uh, I'm married to one of one of them, and so uh, I, what I would say is... Uh, Check out those, uh, check and see what uh, programs are available in your state um, to, to help you out. So, uh, all right, today what we are doing is we are talking to an old friend. Um, ever since the, the reformat of the show, uh, he's not been a guest uh, or, or, a, or a host on the show. And uh, I th- look, I'll just, I'm just going to say it. I think the show's better uh, without him. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Um, no, it is uh, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Are you, are you hanging in there? Are you doing all right? I think, I think most days hanging is about the best I could hope for, just, just sure. holding on tight. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really funny. Back in my, in my days as a, as a recurring co-host, I think my typical answer would be, I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's a much more nuanced response these days, given yeah. everything, but neither uh, of those is true. You are not doing well and you are not happy to be here. I'm not coping. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, now the primary reason that uh, we're talking to you is that you there's a new movie out. And but of course, out mm. is in quotes. Uh, <laughs> right. Your right. movie's out the way my movie's out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and uh, this is a film that you and I talked about quite a while ago. Um, yeah, and, the early uh, development of it. Yeah. yeah. And I remember being like, being really, and, and I, there was a while when it, when it wasn't going to happen and that bummed me out because when you told me about the script, I was excited for it to, to be made. Sure. And sure. then suddenly out of nowhere, you showed me like a, a trailer uh, a while ago and I thought, Oh, yeah. this is very exciting. Uh, but the <laughs> film is called 40, the temptation of Christ. Yes. Okay. Now, number one, there's a very good chance I might accidentally say the last temptation of Christ. Uh, just a heads up Understood. on that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that first. Now, okay. you know what? Let's, we'll tease it. We'll tease it. That's, All right. okay. that's primarily what we, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about the, the process of getting that made and writing it and all that sort of thing. But first uh, I want to check, I want to, you know, catch up with you. I'm sure the listeners are curious. Um, what have you been up to lately? Fear, the fear of God is still going. That's for sure. Absolutely. So we're still weekly. Uh, we, we 
were already remote. My co-host tonight, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan, it, he's on the East Coast. So we were already remote. The current condition didn't really change that uh, dynamic. So we're still weekly. We are right now going through a series um, with a really cumbersome title, just 2020-2020. And uh, we're going through um, counting down the listener-voted top 10 from each year, starting with 2000. And then we're covering a film from that respective year that made the top 10 list. Um, and just sort of looking at sort of the arc of the last two decades in horror, how it uh, reverberates with what might have been going on in the world around us at that time and uh, certain trends and patterns. And that's been a really uh, eye-opening series, particularly the last few episodes have been um, surprising in, in the nature of conversations we've been able to have um, I'm sure that the current climate has intensified that to a degree, but yeah. it's been really uh, something I'm very grateful for to have been able to continue those kinds of conversations. I think to some degree, it's helped me to process this at least better than I would have been able to without it. Um, so, so yeah, fear of God is still weekly. Uh, please go check us out. And um, other than that, I'm fortunate enough to continue to be working, um, being able to work remote uh, it, it saps a lot of my energy. So while there's a lot of people doing really inventive and creative things, uh, my job hours have actually extended by the fact yeah. that I'm at home. So there's not that like cutoff time that you normally get. Um, so, uh, but, but grateful to be working, working a lot, family safe, healthy, uh, been of course watching movies as much as I can, uh, probably far too many an exorbitant amount of movies, um, I would say probably my favorite of the bunch that I've watched, uh, which really is an exorbitant amount, uh, but the one that keeps sort of pinging near the top in terms of impression was uh, I did finally catch out, uh, catch uh, Uncut Gems, which I thought was just a remarkable, it's, wonderful, wonderful movie. It's pretty great. And uh, listeners, I did an episode about Uncut Gems a, a couple months ago, so you can check yes, that out. Did. But um, yeah, um, I was going to ask because you're in a situation you you live in an apartment, a two, I believe a two bedroom. Yes. that's And correct. so it's yeah. you and your wife and your son. Yeah. All right. Just the three of us. And so you say just, but you know, like <laughs> I, I live in, I live in a house and just me and Jen <laughs> is some, seems a little bit too much at times. And so, <laughs> you know, and especially when it's a situation where you want to watch something, you yeah, know, it's, I imagine you didn't watch Uncut Gems as a family. No, you know? not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, that would be pretty much like th- our general routine for content. I know Sawyer, my son, can't be awake for. Mm-hmm. Um, I will actually like just uh, watch it on my computer or maybe on my phone if it's the kind of experience that I don't want you know as well as I do, like ideally the biggest screen possible, but there are some films for which if you're able to concentrate, the overall experience of the film is probably not going to be diminished too much, Mm -hmm. uh, at least visual nature. Um, So I will either wait until everybody's asleep, stay up an extra hour and a half or so to watch a film, or, uh, you know, he'll be in the living room and I'll tell my wife, Hey, I'm watching something in the bedroom. You know, our son can't come in. So just like be aware. Um, so just kind of navigating that in general that we, we have this weird sort of like pattern in which we can, uh, go to different places. Like he can go play in his room and maybe my wife can be watching something on the TV and me in the bedroom or all of those roles can kind of be switched. He can be out in the, 
living room. I'll, I can be in his bedroom and my wife in our bedroom. So it, we are navigating it surprisingly well. It, it does get, you know, you, you feel it, you feel the cabin fever after a little yeah. while and just the impulse to want to get outside. But, yeah. um, but we've actually commented several times that we're really grateful that in general, our family is, is, is pretty good. I don't know what average is, but I feel like we're pretty good at just sort of navigating life together. Yeah. And so that, um, that has made things easy, uh, uh, easier than they possibly could have been. Although understandably, there's still those times where it just sort of gets under your skin and just sort of starts to, to wear on you a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's such a, such a unique situation and one that like, right. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's a situation that has never happened in my lifetime and likely will never happen again, ideally. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, hopefully not. Yeah. And also when talking, you know, if I talk with a, a listener from, a, a, you know, around the world or something like that, or on the other side of the world, um, it's weird to think that like, like we'll do like a Facebook message or something like that. And he'll, talk about a specific episode, but then it'll be like, Hey, how are you guys doing over there? And that's when I rem- remember that like, right. Like he is dealing with the same thing that I am. And so he's mm. asking me how mm. I'm doing. It's such an, it's, it's, it's unifying, but like in the worst way, um, <laughs> right. you know, right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So, okay. So you saw uncut gems, thumbs mm-hmm. up. You like that? Yeah. What, big thumbs up to that. Yeah. What else, uh, what else have you been watching? So, uh, that's what, what has stood out to me. So I've been, I've been rewatching a lot of old favorites. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've seen this film. I can't remember your thoughts on it. I rewatched the pledge, the old, um, Sean oh, yeah. Penn film, uh, starring Jack Nicholson, which I really, uh, I loved it then loved it now. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, my wife and I caught bombshell, which is one that we had, uh, been wanting to see for a little while. Um, so I saw that, uh, been watching, of course, fear of God related and otherwise been watching a lot of horror films. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed crawl by Alexandra Aja. Absolutely. That was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, just, just a really, really fun film. Um, and then of course we've also, uh, we've been making our way through Ozark on Netflix right. and it's, uh, it's a heart attack in episode, man. Like it, the, the, I mean, it is, it is pretty relentless in terms of the stress and the heaviness. I, yeah, it's a, I was, I've been thinking about Ozark lately because, you know, Uh, people have been understandably uh, comparing it to Breaking Bad in many ways. Yeah. Okay. Finish your thought because I have a couple of comments. And as I've been, and so it just, you know, made me think more about Breaking Bad. It made me think about Ozark. Um, I watched the first season of Ozark and I thought it was fine. I definitely thought that every episode was a bit of a, was sort of on repeat um, Mm because it's always Mm -hmm. the same situation, much like Breaking Bad. Uh, And there's actually, and then I felt, I finally felt uh, sort of uh, validated because there's a comedian named Theo Vaughn and he he does his own, he does his own uh, show. And so he was in the middle of talking about like the new Louis CK special. And then apropos of nothing, he just veers off and he's like, he goes, is every, it's like, he goes, is every episode of Ozark exactly the same, except the sun gets a little bit older <laughs> and, just, and it made me yeah. laugh. Um, and, uh, but one thing that I came to, to uh, realize is that I, I think I, despite it being a, a, a measurably good show, I think I kind of hate breaking bad. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I'm not sure 
I can't put my finger on why it, it could be that so many people are over the moon about it and think it's a flawless show, which obviously it is not. And so my instinct is like, okay, well, if I don't love it, I guess I hate it. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then, and Ozark is a, is a show that has surprised me from time to time and I enjoy it. But mm. at the same time, yeah. After that first season, I was like, I think I, I think I get the gist of this and I think right, I'm good right. to, I don't need to keep watching. Yeah. Um, but can, you seem to enjoy And I lived, look, I lived in the Ozarks. <laughs> oh, okay. I was lived, it like that? That's how it one, all is. One right? town over was actually Ozark, Missouri. And wow. that, look, this was every day, every <laughs> single day, people getting shot uh, uh, terrible strip clubs. Uh, uh, I tried to build a casino. It did not go well. It was no, no, no. Uh, My right. casino went great. I'm doing fine. Um, <laughs> still raking know. in those residuals actually. Exactly. You know, like yeah. it's, it's going well. It's weird. Uh, through some kind of delightful loophole, I don't have to shut it down and people are coming in and gambling and <laughs> it's been going great. A beacon of hope in troubled times. Exactly. Especially for me. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah. So funny. what is it about this Ozark show you like so much? So, well, what's interesting is I would actually sort of temper my, any sort of affectionate comments about it. I do think it is well-performed and my highest praise for, for it sure. would be, uh, pivoted towards the performances, particularly Laura Linney and, and, uh, uh Jason Bateman. I, yeah. I think they're really exceptional, uh, in the show. Um, but even the supporting players are quite strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, there is, and, and this is not some, it's something that I'm always kind of attuned to, but find it difficult to articulate differences from time to time. I feel like it has a different moral compass than Breaking Bad did. And mm-hmm. I feel like it has, um, in some ways, the characters are more difficult to sympathize with and root for based on their differing choices. And the dynamic is different than, uh, than Breaking Bad. My wife and I have talked a lot about like, just in, in, in there were times in the, stream of breaking bad where we would really want things to go well for these characters and we would Mm -hmm. really care about them. But in Ozark, they feel more, uh, outwardly and intentionally sort of, uh, malicious and, 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 and they don't feel as conflicted about what they're doing. And breaking bad is a a higher concept when you think about it, like it's it's a normal guy who, who breaks bad. Whereas Ozark, one thing that I do like about it is that the main character starts knowing he and his wife, they know full well, right. What what he has been doing and he starts as a criminal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that tone can make things feel different. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, I did make a comment. I forget at what point we were in the show, but I did make a comment uh, to my wife where I said, like, it is just relentless Mm -hmm. for those characters. Like it is just like every single thing that they just get out of, they only catch a break for about six minutes of runtime. And then right away, there's some, one thing that I will say impresses me about Ozark that impresses me more than when Breaking Bad did it. I am impressed at their, constant perpetual stakes raising i mean Mm -hmm. with with breaking bad i was frequently like how is he going to get out of this i don't know exactly what this is going to happen with ozark i'm frequently i don't see a way out of this like i don't know how you stop what just happened like how do you navigate an fbi raid like how do you navigate like all of these different things that and i I apologize for that because i don't know where you are in the show or where that is but but it's like how do you navigate those different monumental occurrences. And I just, yeah, I, 
So I am impressed with their, their stakes raising. They throw down the gauntlet pretty frequently, but I I do remember that there would be scenes where like a character is woken up and from Mm. something from, from sleeping and stuff. And my first thought is like, how are these people sleeping? How are they able to relax enough to sleep? Are you kidding me? No, that's true. No, that's absolutely true. That's Um, funny. Yeah, the tone of it is definitely different. I mean, not to keep comparing it to Breaking Bad, but like there is, I'm not sure if I would say it's a gothic tone, but it's a, it's, there's a, there's a fatalism to Ozark that I Mm. think other movie, uh, other shows don't really have. Like it, it is just a constant exercise in tension and like the other yeah. shoe is perpetually about to drop. And I don't know. It's uh, we may have talked me into getting back into it, but at the same time, maybe I don't want to for stress reasons. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, I'll tell you something else. And actually in looking at uh, your, your video and seeing uh seeing all the toys and games and stuff in the, back, <laughs> in the background. Um, I, I was curious. Uh, I've been toying with the idea of getting into Star Trek, uh, Ooh, the, t- the TV okay. show. Yes. Yes. Um, mostly because I actually, I watched a handful of, of episodes of Star Trek, the next generation when it was on, like when I was okay, younger okay. and sure, I remember, sure. I remember kind of liking it and I did watch and it's weird. I felt as a kid, I, wa- I felt some obligation to watch the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. So oh, okay. even though sure. I yeah. had very little connection with those characters. But, um, but yeah, and so I, I don't think I would ever become, like there are, you know, Trekkers, like they just really love the show and they love just right, the whole universe. Right. And that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't like to make fun of people for that sort of thing. Um, and I don't imagine I would be that, but like you are a Star Trek fan, yes? Uh, a really avid one. Yes. Okay. Um, and do you, have you watched, cause there, there've been several different series at this point, right? Yes. Yes. Which one do you like the most? Um, the one that I, uh, the one that holds the highest spot of affection for me is the next generation. And I okay. think a large part of that is, I think the quality is objectively strong and there's a good case to be made that if you're viewing it as objectively as possible, that it is the strongest iteration of the series, but there's undeniable nostalgia and affection for me in the fact that I did watch it as it aired. Um, Mm -hmm. so I stayed current with it as it was broadcasting. Um, and, uh, so because of that, obviously that's, it's going to bring back associations from childhood and everything. So, so yeah, for me, it's, it's really stems around next generation. That's, that's the prime rib of Star Trek. But having watched all of it, do you feel like I would, I, that I have for completion purposes, um, should I start with the original series? Um, I think what's, what's challenging about that is the original series had a tremendous amount of self-contained episode. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is you will, as long as you are aware of the core characters in the original series, which I'm sure you are just from having seen the, the films and stuff, sure. I'm sure there's that. Um, if you're aware of the core characters in the original series, there's no reason why you have to complete all of that before moving into next generation. If next generation was what you were going to try to dive into Um, because continuity does not completely sort of carry over from one iteration to another. Obviously one of the things I appreciate about star Trek is how each iteration 
they build up the universe and the rules of the universe and the dynamics of certain uh, tensions between alien races and stuff. Um, those elements progress pretty coherently over time from show to show, but you're not going to be lost on anything uh, except for the, like there is an, a two part episode of next generation in which Spock played by Leonard Nimoy plays a mm -hmm. large role. If you had no idea who Spock was, right. a lot of the gravity of that episode would be lost, but you do even culturally. Yeah. So, yeah. so those would be the only sort of connection that you would need. And doesn't, doesn't bones show up in some, uh, in an episode of the next generation? Only one, and it's okay. it's a really it's kind of a sweet moment. He shows up at the very end of the pilot, and oh. he's yeah, and so he literally had DeForest Kelly was already aging and ailing at that point. Mm -hmm. um, he has a very literally one scene at the very end of the pilot of the Next Generation, and that is his, that is his only time that he's there. Okay, all right, yeah, I'm still torn. I don't know which one I'm gonna. I feel like maybe I'll try the original series. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and if it's not working for me, if it's too, I mean, it, TV shows being slow tends not to bother me. Um, sure. Sure. But uh, but if 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 the budget considerations and Shatner's acting is is just <laughs> enough to put me off, then it's like okay, I'll just jump to uh, I'll jump to the next generation. But of course, uh, I mean, like so many other people, there are a hand. There are like maybe two or three episodes of the original series that I've seen. I've seen the one I don't remember the name of it, but the one with the Gorn. The, oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Arena. Or, arena yes where yes. kirk and and this uh, gorn captain or whatever uh have to fight each other i remember i for some my dad was watching that when i was younger and uh and i found it so stressful and it really had mm. an impact mm. on me because oh, that's interesting because to this day one of the most stressful movie concepts and it's usually a horror or a sci-fi concept is the uh, one-on-one, -on -one, you can't get away, like Predator, sure. for example. Oh, when you right. get to the end right, of right, Predator, right. it's like, it's just me and this person and they're just going to keep at, you know, or this thing. Yeah. And it's just going to keep killed. after me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say uh, an episode uh, that every, pardon me, every individual should see uh, is City on the Edge of Forever. If you've not seen City on the Edge of Forever, that is... A, a wonderful, wonderful episode. It's just a great science fiction story in general. I've heard very good things about that. I obviously heard about the the trouble with tribbles. Um, <laughs> that that episode's pretty fun. Yeah, that episode yeah. is pretty fun. But uh, so. okay, well, it's I I've got my marching orders that I've given to myself, which is I'm going to start <laughs> watching Star Trek, and I can't imagine anything Jen would be happier more with. Oh, you know what? You know what? I have been watching. Sorry, I oh. know this was about you. Um, nope. I've been watching Jen and I've been watching Avenue Five. Um, I've heard that's really good. I haven't checked it out yet, but I heard it's good. It's good, not great. But what's okay. interesting is that we started watching it, not totally knowing what it was about. And then sure enough, it's about people trapped on like an intergalactic cruise liner. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're trapped. Like they can't, sure. they're, like they've, it's been knocked off course and it's going to be like three years before they get home instead of the few weeks. And oh, wow. Uh, and so I'm just like, and so as the characters are trying to navigate cabin fever and all of that, Jen and I are just like, this feels a little too close to what's it's going real. on right now. So, but it's, it is, it is often very funny. Um, it's Armando Iannucci. So it has a type of energy that is itself quite stressful. Oh, um, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's still, it's still, uh, 
very amusing. And I like that they don't take, they don't go too far out of their way to show how the future is, you know, Mm, Um, mm, that they just kind of, which sort of, it sort of strands you. You have to figure it out as you go, which is kind of actually kind of fun in my opinion. But uh, anyway, um, okay. So you've been watching Ozark. You watched Uncut Gems, which, by yes. the way, what a wonderful, restful time you must be having watching things between Ozark and Uncut Gems. Um, yeah, but, uh, Uncut Gems is a two-hour heart attack. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's glorious. I, love the, I, I really love the movie, but uh, whew, it's rough. Yeah, did did yeah. you see Good Time? No, but given my affection for Uncut Gems, I want to check it out. Okay. I think I prefer Uncut Gems, but it might just be because I, I appreciate that character more um, as opposed to the lead of, of Good Time. But uh, yeah, they definitely are, are of a piece, those two films. Right, 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 right. But um, okay, so uh, I think I will, speaking of watching things, I'll tell you one thing that the, that the listener should be watching is <laughs> 40, The Temptation of Christ. It was a deft segue. I'm, Thank that you. That was nice. Thank you. <laughs> Look, we're on lockdown. I can't be uh, doing these smooth seg- segues. You know, we all got places to be. Or actually, not I all, guess we don't. <laughs> they're not all uncut gems. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> I, sorry, I was taking a drink and I had to make myself not laugh. Um, so, uh, okay. 40, The Temptation of Christ. What, what Read. <laughs> what is this? So the logline, if you will, is just the, it is a biblical drama about the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. The biblical account uh, that is recounted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but, but most prominently the version that people are most familiar with is the version from Luke, from Luke chapter four specifically. Um, and so it is very, very focused on a document of that account. Um, there are things that we did differently to f- both flesh out the emotional narrative and, uh, you know, to, to make it more substantive as more than just a short film. Um, so we, we don't expand, uh, uh, I don't know why the word is not coming to me, chronologically. We don't expand mm-hmm. chronologically uh, beyond the scope of his time in the wilderness. The film opens with a brief um, sort of opening salvo, uh, actually voiced by the character of John the Baptist, and then pretty much the length, the the extent of the film is Jesus's time in the wilderness. But it does show uh, some moments from his childhood that uh, allows us the opportunity to sort of flashback. And again, this is to both substance the emotional narrative and uh, provide some context for the way in which we approached the temptations themselves. So that's uh, that's it. So, oh, that's it. That's, um, that's all. <laughs> now, uh, now I, I forget, cause you told me at one point the, were you, were you brought onto the project and then you, you found a way to make it work or did the script just originate with you and then you found, and then you were connected with a director and all that? No, I was invited into the project. So actually okay. the director, uh, Doug Vale and I, um, he, he officially goes by Douglas James Vale. Um, he, uh, he, I'm going to call him DJ. 
Do you think he likes that? I would imagine not. Um, But uh, he and I have been friends for a while. We had actually worked on a couple of things together, short projects through some mutual friends. And then we uh, reconnected at uh, a a mutual friend's wedding uh, where purely coincidentally we were seated together. And uh, when we were they're just sort of catching up. It, it allowed us the opportunity to, um, you know, just to get back in touch. And we kept in touch. He called me one day and said that he really had a passion to make what really to him, he wanted to make this love letter um, to the way in which that particular biblical narrative had impacted his own personal life and the way it had inspired and, um, and, and just the way it continued to inspire him. But we had a very candid conversation where he said, the reality is that is less than 400 words yeah. in the scripture. And that's not going to make a 98 minute movie. So, so he basically it's weird proposed- that he specifically wanted a 98 minute movie. <laughs> well, that's, that's the ultimate runtime of the film, but it, <laughs> yeah. I don't think at that time. I think most yeah. filmmakers start with a runtime and a release date. And they're like, what can we do? <laughs> where, where do we go from here? Um, <laughs> So, uh, so basically he was like that, you know, uh, this is what I want to do. And he said he wanted to pitch it to me and see if, if I might be interested in, in helping to develop the story with he and, and his at the time fiance, but now wife, um, who is uh, an executive producer on the film. And so I went back and, and by my memory, it was, it was like three years ago by my memory. I think I slept on it one night and very quickly, had in mind there were there were three things that I think we kind of needed to solve narratively, and the the biggest and most important one was how are you going to handle the temptations? How are you going to present the temptations? That piece of it, if my memory serves me correctly, came to me very quickly and came in like one night. And I called him the next day and I said, "Here's what I would like to do," and I pitched it to him. And at the time, on the phone with me, he just said. Um, okay, well, let's, let's start this process, uh, put together a treatment, then maybe we'll put together a first draft and we'll see how things go. We'll, we'll progress it from there. Um, what I later found out is that he hung up the phone and I don't know if he expressed this to his wife or if he, um, just sort of some version of this, but he hung up the phone and he was like, crap, have I made a mistake asking Reed to do this? Uh, because the decisions for the temptations were, uh, at least somewhat bold. They were pretty different. Um, they were risky at the time in terms of how we handle it and exactly what we're trying to do with them. So um, to that end, uh, I, I believe he and his wife both talked about it and said, well, let's see what the draft looks like. Let's see what the actual script uh, turns out to be. Um, and then, you know, things progressed from there. They kept me on the project and, and graciously uh, the, the finished film uh, he did have to make some adjustments, but the finished film contains at least 90% of the material that I had put into the script. So, um, so that was, was really a joyful experience to see that come to life. So I imagine, you know, as you're talking about the, the various challenges of writing this thing, I imagine one of the challenges, and maybe not, but if it were, if it were me, I would be like, okay, this, this has been dramatized before. Yes. And some, yes. and, and in, in some cases, fairly recently um Mm -hmm. you know last days in the desert which is certainly i mean it doesn't adhere to the bible like it's more of a more of a riff on it but it is still uh attempting to uh 
explore this time in Jesus' life. Right. And, right. Uh, and then obviously Last Temptation does it and, uh, and uh, uh, various other Christ-related movies like, uh, um, not King of Kings. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth actually doesn't, doesn't contain the temptation narrative. Um, oh, okay. but, but, but I believe greatest story ever told does that um, maybe that's what I, I'm thinking of. And, um, and so there have been several that contain an iteration. The most recent one, I think the most recent full life of Christ portrayal that was called son of God. If my, mm-hmm. if my memory serves me correctly, I believe that contained a version of the temptation yeah. narrative. Um, so that many of them have included it before. And that is really the challenge. How do you, I, I think two of the things that were really important to us were we wanted to remain reverent uh, in, in spirit and in process to the text of the scriptures, um, because as I had mentioned before, the director wanted this to be a spiritual process in which he's able to craft kind of a love letter of what mm-hmm. this narrative meant to him. And so in the development of the story, uh, we wanted to stay reverent to the text of the Bible, but film and storytelling by its nature is inventive and creative and requires you to uh, open up uh, possibilities of how you might express or explore things differently. So how do you balance that? Not to mention the fact that this particular narrative has been done so frequently. So a film like Last Days in the Desert solves the problem by simply abandoning the right. structure of the story, using it as sort of the germ of an idea, and then moving forward from it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, a film like Last Temptation of Christ contains, at least in the run of the narrative, the core beats of the story, but I think it's fair to say explores creatively so many other facets of the life right. of Christ and um, imaginative things that didn't take place in the, in the life of Christ that um, at that point, it can't really be called an, a strict adaptation of just that story, right. which was another key to this process is we wanted to tell that story. So th- this does centralize around, I'll, I'll say it this way, the narrative arc of the film is about this time in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would argue, even for Last Temptation of Christ, that the narrative arc is the life of Christ itself. Sure. It is rooted around uh, you know, elements of the temptation narrative, but it is the scope of the entire life of Christ. Um, so as I've mentioned before, while in our film, there are flashbacks to his earlier days in Nazareth that are hopefully moving and, and uh, prop up more of what we're trying to do with the story, there is no forward motion except in a projection, a vision projection of Christ knowing that the cross is where is he is heading. Um, and uh, that is as much of sort of the forward, like there's no disciples in it. Uh, there's no uh, future miracles in the life of Christ. It is very centralized around the temptation narratives uh, itself. And so how do you, <clears throat> like, even if, uh, even if other films sort of, for lack of a better term, fictionalize it, or, or it's one part of a larger story, uh, you know, when I think of something like Last Temptation of Christ, like the, the, the days in the desert uh, sequence, while probably only being about five minutes total, maybe a little bit longer, um, it's very distinctive. And sure. yeah. mm-hmm. so how do you 
you know, what was your approach as a writer? And like, because it's, we want to be reverent. I want Mm -hmm. to try to realize the director's vision Mm -hmm. while also being distinct enough to justify the making of the film. Right. Uh, and I don't, right, I don't mean to course. put that in a, in a, in like a cynical way. Uh, no, just of course, that like, of course. just that, uh, you know, we've, we've seen not necessarily about Jesus, but like we've seen stories told over and over and they're told often because they just can be, and they know yeah, they'll have course. an audience. And I know that's mm-hmm. not something you're interested in. I know you no, like to make not. something your own and, and bring some of, some of yourself to it. So in what way did you make this, artistically and I'd say narratively distinct from some of these other films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sincerely. Thank you for that question. Cause like, I, th- I feel like that's one of the challenges even in people who know me and might be inclined to be interested in something I was doing already. You get a bit of a vibe of, well, I know this story, right? I mean, like this, this is, this is one that I, I mean, I know what can happen. Like I've jokingly said on a couple of other interviews where I say, you know, we wanted to see how, Christ would overcome these temptations, which spoiler alert, he does. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, that's that, how do you make it uh, distinct? And, and so uh, I'll, I'll at Doug and I had so many conversations in the early part. There were things that, that I specifically brought to it and brought to him. There were other things that were sort of his challenge to me and saying, Hey, basically here's a puzzle that I want you to solve. And then I had to go and and was tasked with kind of solving it. Um, And so much of the development was happening concurrently. It's difficult to parse, which was which, but I can, I can specify this, that uh, the, again, with the first challenge we had to make was how do we handle the temptations? The second challenge that I remember Doug specifically asked me at one point, he said, what is Christ doing while he's there? Like yeah. why, like, like the scriptures basically say he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And after 40 days, he was hungry. So it literally mm-hmm. brushes past yeah. over a month of time. And, and what is he doing out there? So one of the most exciting challenges, and it was daunting until it clicked what we could do. One of the most exciting challenges is we don't want to just get into the temptations 15 minutes into the, into the film. And just go from there because otherwise, you know, the film would be too brief and it also wouldn't have a a ton of heft to it emotionally if you do that. So what do you do for Christ while he's out there? And, and so naturally he would spend time in prayer. Naturally he would be seeking certain things, but Doug's question to me is, is, was basically why is he out there? And also, and this was probably the most important question he could have asked me, what does he stand to lose? So mm-hmm. what does Christ stand to lose and what do by extension we stand to lose if he doesn't overcome these temptations? So where, where are the stakes in, in that? And we had to substantiate that hopefully inside the narrative. And we found an anchor point. I don't know uh, for myself or even for you how uh, much spoiler territory we want to get in, but I, I think I can say this much that we found an anchor point in the later portion of Christ's life where he was ministering to his disciples and talking to them about what a good shepherd is and talking to them about how a good shepherd navigates and how they leave the 99 and go after the one and how Mm -hmm. the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and so many uh, understandable metaphorical uh, analogies to Christ himself and why Christ was there. And so I began to play with the notion of, well, 
what if part of the time in the wilderness, he's learning how to become the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so what that connected with is let us present a lost lamb in this wilderness that uh, one of my favorite single shots uh, and, and Doug is a really impressive, particularly this being his first film. I find his visual instincts to be pretty impressive uh, mm -hmm. for myself. Um, it, just the kinds of things that I like seeing. There's so many single shots that I find interesting, even just in the shots themselves. But there's one shot that I absolutely love. And it is of the tracks in the sand of this lamb. And, and this was in my script, but, uh, but I just love the way Doug realized it. Also layered on top of the tracks of the lamb are the tracks of a beast that mm -hmm. is clearly pursuing the lamb. So it sets up this tense dynamic of Christ knows he's not alone in this wilderness. He's being observed. Eventually he will be challenged, but along the way he is seeking this lamb and seeking to find it before this beast finds this lamb. And that allowed for us, if we've done our job well, to create some narrative tension that wouldn't have otherwise been there and help to drive not only the action and progression of the story, but Christ's weariness as mm -hmm. he presses on, um, unable to relinquish this and unable to give up until he has found that one and brought it back. Um, and so, uh, so that was one thing that we, uh, that we anchored ourselves into, as well as, of course, him spending time in prayer. Last comment I'll make about that is one of the things that we, that, that I did, I've, I've given this advice when people have told me before, like, well, how do you write stories and, and what general advice do you have? I'm interested in trying to write something. Uh, what advice do you have? And, and one of a uh, little Rolodex of things that I'll say is I usually say, um, pick one rule that you under no circumstances will break. That rule can be anything. It can be a structural rule. It can be a character rule. It can be a narrative rule, whatever, it, whatever you want it to be. Pick one rule that you will not break and then feel the freedom to break literally every other one. So anchor yourself in one thing that you're going to, to keep yourself grounded in and then feel the freedom to play with everything else. In this particular project, what my one rule was, was that everything Jesus says has to come from scripture. It either has to be something from the old Testament that he's quoting or something from the new Testament that I know he will eventually say. So I feel no qualms about putting it in his mouth right now because I didn't want, though I, I don't feel bad at films that do this. I didn't want to approach this project, putting a bunch of words in Jesus's mouth. We were already taking some pretty big risks with how we present the temptations. Yeah. So I needed a way to anchor us to have that freedom. And the way to do that was to make sure Jesus only spoke scripture. So even in a scene where he's dialoguing with Lucifer, Lucifer can say whatever Lucifer needs sure. to say in the moment, but Jesus will continually come back to scripture. And, um, and what we realized at the time, what started as just sort of a structural anchor then also helped to be a thematic anchor later because that is literally how Jesus fended off the temptations is by reciting scripture. And mm -hmm. so it, it helped to prop up, uh, hear the nuance that I say this with, and I know you'll understand it. Hopefully listeners will too. It helped to establish Jesus as a character in a film, yeah. not just as Jesus as he is in our lives. And that was helpful. Well, that's that like already a lot of the stuff that you're saying is something that I find very encouraging because you and and uh, DJ, um, <laughs> you know, my buddy, um, 
you were talking about it from a narrative standpoint and like, well, you know, what, what was he doing? What, what could we have him doing? And I know for several reasons, not the least of which because of a, a, a Facebook group I'm in that <laughs> understandably so people get real wary about the way Jesus is depicted and sure, they, they have, yeah. they have such an eye towards blasphemy and right, right. which again is understandable, but the way that you, <laughs> how did I forget how you described writing and art in general is that it's, it's imaginative or, or, uh, mm, mm. or creative. I don't remember exactly the explorative the as well. And that's the thing is I feel like when, te- when depicting, if you're, if you're a Christian depicting Jesus, mm-hmm. there will, there will be so much temptation to just be like, no, I don't want to explore Jesus. I already know who he is. And I don't want to imagine anything because imagination is its own type of lying. Um, (laughs) No one has said that I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, um, and, and so in the end you get a Jesus that is not very dynamic is Mm -hmm. usually extremely emotionally distant because we can't relate to him. Um, Right. And, and often, uh, completely unemotional because we know what emotions are like. We know that we feel fear. We feel anger. We feel Mm -hmm. sadness. We -hmm. know we feel happiness as well. But um, the minute you start to ascribe any emotions that we would can, that we would, I'd say incorrectly define as bad. Right. Right. Of course. That's when you start to get some people saying, well, wait a minute. You know, what does Jesus have to be afraid of? Fear, Mm -hmm. you know, fear comes from not knowing something. And if Jesus was God, then he knew everything. So now by showing him fearful, well, now we're actually, uh, we're being blasphemous. You know, it's like, so even for the sake of argument, even for the sake of narrative importance, um. Like a lot of Christians are unwilling to head in that direction and the idea of making Jesus an actual character. And I know that's such a terrible thing to say, but uh, yeah, when somebody is perfect, it's, it's, it can be really hard to write them. Uh, And so, so at what point did you decide, like what brought on the decision and you taught, you addressed it already a little bit, but like, how on earth did you decide that that's my rule? That's my one rule. Batman doesn't kill. And I only use uh, scripture for dialogue, even if it wasn't said as dialogue, um, you know? Well, to be honest, the reason it came to me that way was I needed to know. First of all, I needed to understand who Jesus was in this, in this piece. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm sure you'll help me if, if something, if I, if I make a statement that you think I'll need to unpack a little bit more, but um, I needed to understand, I, I knew who Jesus was in my life and I'm still learning that as an ongoing basis as a believer, but who is Jesus in this story? And the biggest way for me to approach that was to know, well, he would have known the scriptures. He would have known mm-hmm. them backwards, forwards, up and down. And that's evident from the text of the, of the actual story. Yeah. So he would have known the scriptures and then we have some window into what he, we had the advantage of knowing what he actually said from the new Testament passages. So really the decision to just use scripture 
um, began almost utilitarian to the degree of, well, I have words. I, I now have dialogue that, yeah. that it really just ama- amounts to let me. And, and this was an exercise. I don't want to be reductive to it. It was uh, an exercise in reading the Psalms multiple times, reading uh, the different prophets multiple times, not only those related to him, but those uh, speaking about God's people and God's intentions elsewhere. Um, And so scouring the passages of Scripture and searching for things that would be relevant to the moment. Um, So it was the decision to make Christ only speak in Scripture began very, um, again, mechanical and utilitarian, Mm -hmm. but then it became a real, I would say a a, a challenging one, but a joy to then say, okay, in my imagination, this is what Lucifer has just said to him. What will Christ say back? And it might not only be the obvious answer. It might not only be the passage of scripture that is uh, the path of least resistance. How will he then, uh, like there's a moment in the film where uh, Lucifer asks him, he says, do you know who I am? And a simple question like, do you know who I am? Well, where, where do I seek the scriptures? Uh, where in the scriptures will give Jesus a proper rebuttal to that question? Because yeah. the other easy answer would just be to have him remain silent, which right. I think is less interesting. Um, so, so then how, what do I put as he would call forth this, this prophet to then, you know, put Lucifer in his place or at least challenge what was already being said. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, it, it began as a function because we already just sort of have the, the words, but became a much more enriching process yeah. to, fu- to determine exactly what he would say. And uh, once again, because of uh, conversations that I've been seeing that I find infuriating in these, vers- in these, <laughs> uh, in these groups that I really should uh, leave. Um, but, you know, my buddy Doug uh, is also in these groups. <laughs> and so... Uh, so it's been interesting to see because there, there have been some people that, that debate if it's even acceptable, whatever that word might mean in any particular context, but like if it's even acceptable to depict Jesus, because once mm. you start writing right. for Jesus, you are presuming to, right. to know how he thought and all that. And in this case, you're at least like a little bit close, you know, arguably mm. you're closer to who to like actual Jesus. But again, as you, as you, some would say that in, in the process of sort of picking and choosing what, right. What lines he, that, you know, he said, it's like, it's like, they're taking him to like some people I think could say like, you're taking, you're, you're, you're adapting what he says for your own purposes. Right. Uh, And once again, there's that, there's that accusation and uh, there's that barb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, it was that a concern for you? Like, as you, cause like, obviously you want to write a good script. You want it. you want the characters to be strong? You want the narrative to be strong. Uh, And that is, in my opinion, your first priority. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously you don't want to undercut the nature of Jesus, but you're trying to, you're trying to use imagination and creativity to bring out the Jesus that, you know, but right. Right. as you're doing that, did you find yourself conflicted and, and wondering like, am I using this line all wrong? Uh, am I, am I getting myself in trouble? Am I, am I steering people down a bad path? Like, was that a concern of yours? Um, to say it was a prominent one would be, uh, uh 
inaccurate, but uh, also to say it wasn't there would, would be inaccurate as well. I think the biggest, I, I was able to compartmentalize pretty effectively to simply say, we want this story to work as well as it can possibly work. We want this to adhere together. And um, I'll edge into something uh, in just a moment about a character other than Jesus that, that kind of informs something. Mm-hmm. That there were moments, I, I jokingly tell people, there are six specific moments in the film. I'm not going to detail them right now, but there are six specific moments in the film that I always brace myself for how people are going to respond to. Like when, mm-hmm. when people uh, write back about, you know, their thoughts on the film or whatever, there are six particular moments in the film that always, that, that I'm just sort of prepared for somebody to come back and be like, wait, 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 what was this? Cause I, cause yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of prepared for that. Um, so that absolutely was a concern of, you know, is, is this something that I'm taking in completely the wrong context or is it something that I need to be more conscientious or, or even just completely remove? Is it something that I have to just excise entirely because it feels false? And what I, what I did to put that aside is I, I remembered, okay, so back to Doug's question to me, what does Christ, the character in this, mm-hmm. stand to lose, and what is he fighting for? So in our rendition of the story, he is fighting for uh, something that he later said in, in Luke, where he says, I came to seek and save what was lost. Mm-hmm. So to him in this moment, that's, that's this lamb, that's this sheep. I'm coming to seek and rescue this lamb. Um, there's so many other things happening in tandem to that, but uh, I overcame the challenge of, I don't know if I'm misappropriating this or if I'm miscontextualizing this by saying, does this fit in with the aim of what we're telling in this story? And if it served that purpose, I bypassed the rest of the concerns and proceeded and just said, okay, mm-hmm. this is this is the aim of our film. It, it, it rings true to the aim of the story that we're telling um, and, and to the concerns that people would say of, to your point, some people don't even agree with even depicting Jesus. Yeah. And I say, well, if you follow that logic train, then you do get down a path of like, well, why create a painting of it? Why create yeah. a statue of him? Why, why do anything that will in some way visually represent, um, our Lord in that way? And I will say for my own, I'll speak for myself in this, that, I see the process of depicting the character of Christ in a film very akin to the process of depicting him in a painting. It's just that you're telling a narrative and building the character rather than displaying a visual image of the character. But the processes are very similar in that you have to use your imagination. You have to express some degree of structure to how this character stands, how they, you know, in a painting, it doesn't speak, but um, how, what's the look on their face? What are they, what are they saying? What's their body posture? All of those things have to be considered. And in a narrative, you're asking those same kind of questions, but you know, how, how does he feel in this moment when he says this, is this something that is confrontational? Is this something that is comforting? Is it hopeful to him? And one of the things that, and a lot of this has a lot of credit has to be given to our eventual actor who is uh, Cheyenne Ardalan. He is the third person that was cast in Jesus as Jesus in this film. The, uh, the second person that was cast as Jesus had to leave the production after about two thirds of it was done. Uh, you referenced, you referenced in passing uh, a moment when we kind of didn't know if this was progressing or not. 
two thirds of it's already completed. And then your lead actor bows out before the, the production can be complete. Um, and so then Cheyenne came onto the role and was able to see the entire thing through to completion. But so much credit has to be given for the way he humanized this language. I'm going to say for myself, experiencing watching the film, I, I chose which passages of scripture went into key moments. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, there would be conversations with Doug and I about either shortening some or placing them in different places, you know, as we further developed the script. Um, but then ultimately it fell to Shion to interpret how Jesus feels in this moment when he's saying yeah. this and why is he saying this? And I think for myself, he does an, an, an outstanding job of infusing moments where Jesus does feel anxious and he's quoting this scripture to fight against his anxiety. He yeah. does feel weary and he's speaking this scripture to build himself up and to keep himself going. Um, he does feel confronted. And so he's using this scripture as a weapon against his confronter. So it was up to Shion to infuse all of that in. And again, I think he did a really impressive job. Um, but uh, anyway, all, all of those considerations coming into depicting Christ as a character in the film. All right. Well, we, uh, we should probably uh, start wrapping up. Um, yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm excited to, to watch it. I think I'm going to be watching it, uh, on Easter. Uh, nice. Uh, I think nice. I'll watch it with Jen. Um, cause that seems like a, obviously it's, it was released around Easter for a reason. Yeah, so it's like, well, I might as well just play into that. Um, so yeah, uh, listeners, if you are interested, uh, you can actually read a review of, uh, the film on more than one lesson. Uh, our writer, uh, Tober Corrigan, uh, wrote a review. Um, but, uh, but before we, before we like officially sign off, is there any, is there anything else that you feel like people should know, uh, about the film as they go in? Because I imagine some people, wouldn't be at all interested in watching a movie about, uh, about Jesus and other others might, uh, might be like, well, I've seen this before, so I'm not sure. I, I don't sure. need to see it again. Um, so what, is there any, any last thing that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be as brief as possible. There, there is one thing that I really, uh, have come to really cherish about this iteration of this story. That is actually, it fuels the narrative in some pretty substantive ways, but, um, is not directly related to the temptation. It's, it's one of the primary elements that someone could say we explored purely as an exploration. And that is uh, the character of Joseph of Nazareth plays a very prominent role in, in the film. Hmm. Um, he's, he's in multiple scenes. Again, uh, we flash back to Jesus's time uh, when he was in Nazareth. But what began to emerge in the development of the script um, again, talking, kind of rooting it back to Jesus as a character. This is what I mentioned, I referenced in passing earlier, that that's something uh, I find pretty exciting about it, is we set up this dynamic where we explored Joseph as an individual and what conflict it must have been like for Joseph to know that he has been given charge over this human being, um, but this is not his son like he's his mm -hmm. son but he's not his son and it, it's, it's it's this adoptive situation and at the same time what must that have been like for jesus to have been torn uh between maybe not torn in a in a really vicious sense but at least uh in trying to understand how to navigate the world um between his father 
who, as he depicts in, in the scriptures, says he must be about his father's business, mm-hmm. and his father, Joseph of Nazareth. So how does he reconcile those identities? How does he navigate forward in those identities? And how does Joseph's role and Joseph's character, uh, I say character as like his integrity as a person, mm-hmm. how did that influence and affect what's happening? And some of my favorite moments in the film are the ones that explore that dynamic, moments when Jesus is talking with Joseph, moments when Joseph is talking with Jesus as a, as a young child, um, and how that eventually progresses, um, <clears throat> it culminates in something that is one of sort of the, the final beats of the film um, and is something that is laced throughout as an emotive anchor point amidst all of these other uh, sort of elements. So what I would say, and the reason I bring that up is, if there are those who say, yes, uh, of course, the temptation narrative, I know it, I feel like I've seen it, I would really encourage you to give our film a chance, not only because I want it seen, which is true, but um, I really feel like there's some elements of this story that truly have not been explored before in a scene, in a film that I've seen. I feel like we really did some things, or at least tried to do some things that I don't remember ever seeing in uh, a life of Christ narrative before in terms of the questions we're asking and the ways we're trying to resolve those questions. So if there are listeners who's like, yeah, sure, fine, great, good for you. Hope it does well, but not worth my time. I would really encourage you to cast that aside and to give the film a chance um, because I think there's some really lovely things in it and some really encouraging things in addition to us just wanting the film to do well, which is understandable. With everything going on, and I've said this multiple times, I'll say it again here, there was no possible way three years ago when we started doing this project that we could have known (laughs) that a movie about Christ isolating himself would have been released at a time when isolation was on so many people's hearts and minds. And so a sincere hope and a sincere reason we want people to see the film is we do hope it will uh, infuse a boost of encouragement into what's happening right now, into the temptations that we ourselves find ourselves in, the despair and discouragement that we find ourselves in, um, and hopefully uh, we'll provide some some uplift to people who might be facing those situations because we do we do consider it to be hopefully a very uplifting film. So that's all I wanted to sort of add in there. Um, all right, and uh, where can people uh, where can people find it? So it is available pretty widely. You will be able to, to purchase or rent it on iTunes, on uh, Amazon uh, Video, uh, transactional. Uh, it's not available on like Amazon Prime mm-hmm. by subscription, but you can you can rent it through Amazon. Um, it is available through like Walmart's service, Vudu. I think Google Play has it. Um, so several other outlets have it. Um, if you are interested in possibly a, a hard copy of it, Walmart, Target, Amazon all have uh, DVD and Blu-ray copies of it uh, available for sale. So it's, it's pretty widely out there. That's great. Um, all right. Well, it was nice to catch up with you, Reed. You too. Thank and, you. Thank uh, you very much. Listeners, feel free, uh, do check out uh, Reed's film. And uh, once you're done with that, head on over and check out uh, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema. Please um, do. It's great. And, and then, incidentally, uh, in a couple weeks, check out Man Camp, co-written by Josh Long. Like, it's oh, weird that awesome. we all have this going on at the same time. <laughs> that's but, great. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, um, but yeah, thank you everybody uh, so much for listening. Reed, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate and it. And we'll get you next time. Bye.